like Chris, I was I was listening to the Dan Halford one recently, and mm. it's oh my god, this door won't stop going up. This is usually how most of our podcasts start with with uh, Chris having technical difficulties or something. That's a door. <laughs> Does he like live in a supermarket or something? That sounded really. <laughs> I don't think anyone else in his flat knows how to go and answer the front door. Unfortunately. <laughs> so. Clearly. Chris, Katie asked a really good, a really really good question. What's that? How do I know you? And I thought that's oh. a really good question. I don't even. Um, I said I did some work for you, and then you said, "Yeah." I said I did some work for you, and then you said, "Should we just start a company and just pay each other money?" Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> it's it's legal, I promise. Yeah, sorry, it's all legal. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all about boards, definitely. <laughs> it's not a tax uh, scam yeah, at all. No, didn't we meet on the internet? Well, we have to have met hot on the internet because we've never met yeah. actually in yeah. IR in the physical in the domain. real life. Yeah. Oh wow. Metaphysically, okay. metaphysically, we've never met. Everyone meets yeah. everyone on the internet these days. It's definitely normal. But we've met yeah. conceptually. But uh, how do we... Yeah, I think we met on Instagram, Chris. Yeah. I don't Instagram. know if that's depressing or not. Uh, that that feels depressing when you say I think, that way. I met you on Instagram. I think um, I think that's just normal now, isn't it? That's how yeah. people meet. You know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that or Hinge or, or whatever. I'd love if you'd both met on Hinge. That oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Like, if we met on Hinge, I wonder what the prompt would have been. Like, <laughs> what would that have been? I don't know. It definitely wouldn't have been the... Uh, anyway. Okay. Nerdy guy seeks another nerdy guy to have nerdy conversations. I mean, I don't know what, what yeah. else could, could a tagline be. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of what happened. Just that wasn't, <laughs> just that wasn't the call to action. You know? um, oh. Okay, cool. So... Uh, we're making a podcast. Yes, be professional, Chris. Yeah, Katie. What we, these are really casual ones, so I'm probably just going to say, Katie, hi, how's it going? Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I, I don't. I've decided recently, didn't I, Chris, that I don't like doing intros. Yes. Oh, hi, welcome. We today we've, <laughs> we've got Katie Pickles on. And, uh, you can always the voice hit, you're doing. You can always hit the speaker with just a really random question, like, "What you?" I don't know. What's your favourite vegetable? There it is. Well, we know what mine is. It's my second name, pickles. Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> now my like now I want something really salty all of a sudden. <laughs> um, I should have eaten. Anyway, so actually, Chris, didn't we say? Yeah. So what I like, what I want to do for these podcasts actually is just say, Katie, hi, how's work? That sort of thing. Okay, cool. You know, and then because housework can mean anything, and then you can start talking about air mm -hmm. and um, and or pillars <laughs> and or Katie yes. and or Boondi. Boondi's. Yes. <laughs> Boondi is Katie's dog, Chris, who's lovely. He keeps me busy. Um, anyway, so shall we shall we kick off then? I'm already recording my audio. Yes, I am recording we, and I'm recording Zoom. Are we and we're recording Katie through Zoom? Yes, let me just double double check that. Let me just double check. Yes, let me go to my deep radio voice. <laughs> yes, it says recording the top corner. That's def that's legit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it says that. We, uh, we all work in audio, but yeah. Um... Just the pixels, it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, cool, I'll kick it off. <clears throat> Katie, hi, how's work? Hello, um, busy. All, all areas of work are very busy, which 
um, I complain about, but isn't a bad thing at all, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got lots, so I've got lots going on at air because obviously studios are reopening and film productions are kicking back off. We do a lot of film and TV recording. So um, that's fantastic. My engineers are not gonna be running to me panicking about not having stuff coming in anymore because they're all freelancers. So they've, yeah. kind of, they've really got the worst of it during the pandemic. Um, but that's great that they're gonna be back in full swing. And I've got some releases planned for Pillars, which is my music project this year, right. which is very exciting. Lots of, um, I've been doing lots of videos and photo shoots as COVID friendly as possible and having to order in several tests for different people. On It just makes everything so much more complicated. Yeah. It's so much more busy than it needs to be. Um, but we're getting there. We're getting there. It's, it's all very exciting. So Chris and anyone who would for some reason listen to this podcast in the future um katie works at air studios right uh, we've talked we've actually mentioned air we i was listening to a previous podcast which hasn't been released as to as of the time of this recording which is mm. not relevant information at all but um <laughs> we mentioned air in some capacity oh yeah i think we were talking about businesses like abbey road and air and stuff like that and i think we were talking about it in the context of the pandemic and you know challenges and, and what have you so um maybe you'd like to talk a bit about like about that katie about what it's been like at uh, as much as you do or do not want to divulge yeah i mean i mean no one wants to divulge talking more about the pandemic than we already have over the past 12 months. <laughs> but but it, it has been a very challenging time for studios especially studios that do orchestral recording a lot which is what we do because mm. obviously there's so many bodies that you're fitting into one space mm. um, and it's also um, a much tougher job for I mean I I work for a management where so I manage the engineers that primarily work at air studios but they're freelance so they they kind of work all over the place mm -hmm. um, and thank god I <laughs> don't work for the main studios because it's so much more of a nightmare um, having to set up sessions and make sure everything is COVID friendly, especially the assistant engineers that work at the studios, they're having to clean several heads of sets of headphones and seats and like, yeah. and, and actually kind of discipline. I mean, um, <laughs> orchestra members don't listen to you at the best of times. We have this tiny little canteen where there's always massive queues to get coffee in the small 15 minute break that they have. And it's hard enough disciplining them, so, so them then. So then when it's, you know, having to keep them socially distanced and all of that, it's kind of feels like it, it's not really, for the assistant engineers, it's not their place to say, but they kind of have to, because it's it's now become part of their job that wasn't yeah. part of their job before. It's really, really bizarre. So I really, I really feel for them. I really do. I've been working from home the whole time. So I've only kind of, heard about this from afar I haven't been, been involved in the chaos at the studios um I obviously miss the space but I'm kind of glad I've been able to keep my distance so. <laughs> that's a really good point you made about the assistant engineers because like you're trained to be silent and not interact with people unless you're interacted with and kind of keep back a bit and then to be actively told oh please go and tell those 20 musicians they shouldn't be standing together they need to yeah. be separate and you've got to sidle up to them and be like excuse me yeah, it's like their job has taken a whole other form. It's like a completely different job now um, and 10 times more taxing, I guess. Yeah. And also kind of a lot of the time, if if 
the control room is at full capacity as well, the assistant engineers will um, have to watch the session from a live stream in a different room. So there's also the downside of not being able to be as involved as well. Um, so yeah, it's very tough and I'm sure that they can't wait to um, get back to normal more than anyone else in the company, so. I think it's all those things when people, especially in a, in a, in a big facility like that, you, there must've been a long meeting to discuss all this and figure it all out. But then every single day you have a new challenge where you go, oh, okay. Now we have 60 people that are coming in. So how do we adjust this for 60 people? Oh, now we've got 80 people coming in or now we're going to try and do this. And yeah, 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 yeah. We've, we've, um, I mean, because we are members of the MPG and UK music and, and all of those different boards, um, we've been kind of receiving information from them and having, you know, seniors to me, uh, the directors of the company have been having lots and lots of meetings and were especially during the first lockdown having several meetings that were just ridiculously lengthy about because at the start there weren't specific guidelines for recording studios because obviously there's so many spaces that the government had to cater guidelines for um but we needed to find out as soon as possible because we get bookings way in advance like months sometimes even years in advance so to have to readjust for all of our different clients it was like well we kind of need this information very quickly or wow. as quickly as possible <laughs> yeah. um so they really had to put the pressure on but they've done an amazing job and actually air have adapted fantastically and it's actually i think for a lot of companies it's probably brought change for the better and i think that in some areas of air like we've got like a brand new sign-in system now which we you know, wasn't as rigid as before because obviously now it's more important than ever. And I think little things like that, are, there's going to be benefits from this, even though it's been a really hard time. So, hundred percent. I mean, that's something we've talked about again before with Halford, Daniel Halford, mm. is like, you know, what's what innovations are going to come out of this? Uh, you know, like adversity. Sometimes someone comes along and says, "Hey, you need to like figure this out." You know. Yeah. Um, and prove a lot of concepts that were already being trying to prove, I think, you know, in the in the digital world, right? Mm -hmm. um, because uh, for lack of a better word, fortunately, you know, this happens, this happened when we do have internet and broadband and stuff like that, which has enabled things that would otherwise not be enabled. <laughs> um, so uh, just making our words on the fly. Um, but uh, yeah. Like it, but it is interesting, and I wonder what you know. What what of these concepts will exist in the long tail after we go back to quote unquote normal? Yeah, whatever that means. Um, yeah. It's it's funny because I was talking about I had a I had a meeting with um, one of our American clients who run a library company, and one of my engineers and me, and we were all just having a chat about how everyone is working from home now, and I mean. For me, that's amazing. And for a lot of people that I work with, especially if they have kids, things like that, it's much more flexible now. And I think that that will stay. I think that working from home will be way more normalized now. But it was funny because one of my engineers said, oh, well, we're kind of used to just being locked in a room all day with no sunlight. So <laughs> there's yeah. no change for us. And it was, it was such a good point. I think everyone's perspective of lockdown and how their work has adapted is completely different and you don't realize till you have those conversations with people yeah. so. yes Eng engineers be like what pandemic 
well, I, I, I remember back in, in March last year, we had this conversation and, and Chris was like, how are you holding up? I'm like, the same. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sit in this room on my own anyway and work, so yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm used to it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some people as well that it's majorly benefited. I mean, I know several creative people um, that have taken this opportunity to set up their own space ready for when everything reopens. So I've got my, my friend who's a, she's an artist and band photographer and she's opened her own studio. Um, I've got a friend who is a, she was working in a hair salon and then got basically made redundant. And so she's opened her own little salon ready for when she's opening next week and I've got a hair appointment with her. I'm so excited. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that it's actually benefited a lot of people. I think we can't be, it obviously it is, it's been absolutely awful for, for the majority, but I think there are success stories as well that are there to be celebrated. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, I, th I think it's forcing people to maybe do things they were going to do anyway. Yeah, but right. It just just sooner and and actually maybe take a leap of faith because it's not going to get worse. Yeah. Well, um, fingers crossed. <laughs> when hit, yeah, when you hit rock bottom with some things and you've got to make a decision, you go, actually, I might as well try it, and yeah, hopefully it works out I really think well. There's kind of an element of seize the day as well. You know, I think yeah, people right. realised what they were missing. So mm -hmm. yeah, I know a lot of like creative people, like artists or whoever, like have, who were in jobs. And then all of a sudden didn't have jobs and or were furloughed for like three months and had all, all had loads of time all of a sudden. They're like, yeah, I've just been making stuff that I didn't have the time to make before exactly. or whatever. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, so how's Pillars? Good. It's taking a new shape, a much more kind of pop, sad banger type roots um I think that that's also come from you know I felt coming out of lockdown I didn't want to put out more kind of introverted melancholy very you know introspective kind of music I wanted it to be fun I wanted it to be light-hearted I wanted it to be because that's what I that's what I need that's what I'm listening to at the moment I'm listening mm -hmm. to very you know boppy light-hearted music that I, that doesn't make me think too much because I think we've had 12 months of of doing that because <laughs> we've just been left with our own thoughts yeah right so I think that when I was making music it just naturally took a different shape because I wanted to I, I wanted to make what I wanted to listen to basically mm -hmm. um, so it's exciting because it's it's new territory for pillars um but it's also I mean I think as soon as your sound starts taking a different shape your aesthetic does as well and that that all really excites me you know trying mm -hmm. out different um different forms of content and and mm -hmm. colors and you know palettes all of that kind of thing it's all very exciting and and new but yeah yeah because I know for you as well um because obviously we've known each other for a little while now uh -huh. um like I know for you as well like you do have a like you do have an aesthetic like it like that there is visual output to you and to pillars uh -huh. um and it's interesting to see how you change it up has that been has that always been a part of the brand for you I think so I think I enjoy the kind of putting visuals to my music mm -hmm. almost equally as much as the making of the music right because it almost finalizes a piece of music for me cool um, because when I'm making music, I usually see that certain things or certain images kind of spring to mind, even if they're not to do with the, the lyrical content necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to 
make the music a more kind of tangible thing like that really kind of just brings closure to the song for me sure almost um sure. so yeah yeah it's always it's always been that way it's always been really important to pillars i think for for me personally and kind of more as a, a brand so yeah well it's useful as well to have some sort of visual uh aesthetic down because like then that means that makes its way into you know instagrams and and what have you like i think more than ever videos. now it's important yeah, right. isn't it? yeah definitely yeah and where do you like where do you derive inspiration from with regard to that stuff oh that's just i mean i am one of those people who spends a lot of time consuming art particularly from online especially at the moment but mm. you know when we were in normal times kind of more mm. in the outside world and I think that that, that it stays if, if I see a piece of art or, or you know an image of someone or something that really sticks with me I think that they're the kinds of things that jump out whilst I'm making music I'm kind of like recalling things from the everyday even mm. even if it's not a piece of art necessarily you know even if it's me viewing an interaction between two people in everyday life Right. That kind of imagery will come to me as I'm making a song and then will kind of just naturally feed itself into the what what ends up being the aesthetic. So sure. Yeah. And I uh, really like that. Sorry. Yeah, no, sorry. I was <laughs> just gonna say, like, um uh, you know, and what kind of like challenges do you find yourself having as an artist at the moment? I mean, having ideas that don't fit your budget, that's always been my problem. And I think that's every artist's budget. Yeah. I have these grand ideas. I actually, I have an idea for uh, um, one of my single releases this year for a video. And I'm already thinking about everything that I would need and I'm just dreading, you know, totaling up the budget for it. Yeah. <laughs> but, ideas are bloody expensive sometimes, aren't they? I know, they really I have are. one, I'm like, oh God, that, is, that costs a mil. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to do that anytime soon. And the, and the thing is, I've done I've done the DIY route a million times, mm. and you can actually get great results. Um, but it's not it's not the initial idea you had in mind. It's always an adapted version, and I think right. sometimes you just you want the actual idea, don't you? Yeah, I just yeah. want one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that that's that's the biggest challenge for me. Um, is not having the money to do it really and I guess because I work a full-time job having the time like I see you know I've got friends that are artists that are constantly pumping stuff out all the time and I just can't work at a pace like that mm. which is fine I can it kind of it allows me to give a lot more thought to a project because I know that I don't have that time and there is no pressure really for me mm. um but I do wish sometimes I could make things happen a lot faster <laughs> yeah I hear you 100% yeah. <laughs> Do you find like so being so uh, being an artist who also works in the music industry, mm -hmm. like do you find that to be helpful, detrimental, a bit of both, or um, I mean, I think it's beneficial because you know you, you automatically expand your network if you have a job in the music industry, mm. um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that I can use that network for my music but people know about me and that I am making music yeah and that's good um I think that the a lot of the work that I do with uh, air is it's all very orchestral film and tv with the odd kind of more kind of commercial mainstream 
music thrown into the mix. Sure. Um, and I actually think I would find it harder working in a job that was, you know, exclusively mainstream focused because I think then there would feel like there was too much of a crossover and I couldn't actually yeah, right. gain a separation yeah. of this is my professional work and this is my my own personal music professional work you know like it would be hard there would be too many gray areas I think so I yeah. quite like the separation but also it is nice to be able to let clients know that I work with that you know I'm a musician as well and it also I think it kind of gains a bit of trust in me that I understand where I'm coming from I'm not just right. yeah. some random walking into the music industry not having any background knowledge of working with an engineer or a producer or a mixer or producing yeah, myself yeah. or whatever um so so yeah you can share a language between people can't you in meetings and stuff yeah. exactly exactly and weirdly I think that there is I mean obviously as a woman in the music industry there is a presumption that I don't produce I've walked into a studio so many times and they've been like oh so Pillars is a band I'm like well no it's just me like yeah, right. I, I make all the music I don't just top line over this shit like yeah. um and I think am I allowed to swear sorry yes <laughs> you are very allowed to swear um, I might have already I don't know um but I I think that in my job as well people presume because I work in you know engineer management that I might not necessarily understand any of the production side or what it's like to be in a studio. And, and I think that because I'm a woman and because I work in admin in the music industry, I've got this like double stereotype of, no, you can't know anything about that. And I'm like, well, right. actually I do. And <laughs> it's, it's nice catching people out, but it is mm. annoying that I have to do that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that is systemic stuff right there isn't it like yeah. very much present in the industry which we talk mm -hmm. about i think i think the situation is improving it's just there's a long way to go i mean with all social change sure things yeah. are happening that but there's a long way to go and um, but it's yeah. great that things are happening and that it's it is now being spoken about so mm -hmm. and what what do you think is like the biggest agents of change in that regard Ooh, good question it's hard isn't it to answer that Sure. I mean, I think that it's now not just becoming, okay, I'm going to get a woman to work on this project because we need to tick a box. Mm. People are actually hiring women because they're, they are talented now. Sure. Mm. Whereas I think previously it was just a tick box situation. So it's going from doing it because politically... Picking it off. They they have to do it to now, oh, we're doing it on merit, right? Is yeah. Because, yeah. like, I mean, I think as well, um, you know, it's still obviously still like lots of work to be done. Um, but I do, you know, I think we'd all agree that culture is really, really starting to catch up with what should be reality, isn't it? Like you 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 can see it in in what people say and how people talk now, can't you? Mm -hmm. Um, especially in very recent times like over the last year uh, or so um you know because of particular events that have occurred mm -hmm. um so yeah like no it's great to see i mean you know because sometimes you know sometimes you wonder right was that can we get beyond just a the box ticking you know into mm -hmm. actually like doing this because it's right Mm -hmm. um so i'm glad to hear that you think it's going in that direction definitely definitely um and I, and I do think that 
because I mean, as you say, especially in the last year, how everyone's become more vocal about social change that they want to see. Yeah. Um, I think that that will trickle down. Well, hopefully it will trickle down into education and that's where it starts. I mean, right. I mean, encouraging more women to get into, you know, male dominated industries or jobs Mm -hmm. and, you know, teaching about the LGBTQ community and black Mm -hmm. history, like hopefully that feeds into education and schools because that's where it starts. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get into, I didn't get into music production until I moved to London. Mm. Um, I, I was born and raised in Lancaster in the North of England. And I remember thinking about taking music tech at A level, but it was a male dominated class and I felt very daunted and I wasn't given mm-hmm. any encouragement. I was given encouragement from my college tutor, Louis Davey, and I'll give him all the credit in the world for that. He was amazing. Shout out. But, <laughs> but um, there wasn't much encouragement otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, it's not for me. I'm just going to play the guitar and sing. And that's my thing. And then moved to London and bought my own little home setup and just sat and taught myself secretly and didn't like right. tell anyone. Mm. And I could have done a music production course at uni, but I did songwriting. And then halfway through my degree, I was like, why did I not do music production? Because by that point, I taught myself so much and was so into it and realized I was actually good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think that if I'd been encouraged in my earlier years, you know, in high school, it would have been completely different. And I, I think, I, I believe that I would be in a different role of work. You know, I'd go as far as to say that, so. Right, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you're right about education because uh, yeah, it has to make its way into the education system for like, before like we get there, right? Before we actually get to where we're going. Yeah. Um, because otherwise we're just, you know, we'll never get to the finish line. Exactly. Um, also, it's interesting you said until you move to London, which seems like a significant, uh, a significant kind of um, step in, in all of this. Because, I mean, my opinion, um, as someone who's like lived and grown up in London pretty much all my life, mm-hmm. um, but who's also uh, ventured out of London, there is a difference. Yes. Right? Massive. Just culturally, <laughs> there is a difference. I mean, I think I think Chris would agree, Chris. Like, would yeah, you oh, agree? absolutely. Like, yeah. they're just, it just, it's not perfect, right? But it's definitely relatively progressive. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, not where everyone needs to be quite yet, but it's definitely way more progressive than other yeah. areas. I think that London is a complete bubble though, because yeah, exactly. until you actually step out of London, you don't realize how, you know, things like gender stereotypes are just played on so much more outside of London. And, mm. you know, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I love Lancaster and I always will, you know, it's where I grew up. It's where my friends are. It's where my family still live and work. Right. Um, but, you know, I I go back to Lancaster and I'm walking down the Central High Street with a shaved head and giant platform Doc Martens and wearing mm. all leather. And it's just like, who the fuck is she? What mm. is she doing? You know, like <laughs> because it, you know, it's it's also it's just like it's just so different. I've changed yeah. so much since moving here. Um, and I think that moving here, I just felt like I could be whoever I wanted to be with mm-hmm. no judgment um 
and I think if I met most of the kids I went to school with they probably wouldn't recognize me at all because it's, <laughs> it's mad really like because you know we're what we're talking about here is just two different places in England that's yeah. all it is in, <laughs> like in 2021 England yeah. is no. tiny compar- comparatively to the rest of the world like it's not mm. like we're talking this is different countries but culturally it does feel like that sometimes. oh definitely definitely mm-hmm. I mean yeah. you know there are like I've lived in places outside of London and culturally like even even talking to people I, I feel like I'm like I there's part of me who wants to speak a slightly different language <laughs> yeah you know like it's like oh right you know um and I've said things I remember there have been occasions where I've said things that are way more normal in London uh-huh. like just more progressive and and just more whatever inclusive or whatever yeah and in some cases they you know I've had responses that were like oh that's so that's London or like yes yeah. so London, London talk yeah yeah, yeah. My, my brother like, what are you talking classic. about it's talk. my brother is classic <laughs> for this honestly because I feel like you know every year I'll come home with a different London thing you know like oh right. oh like you know I hate when people walk slow in front of me or like I've gone veggie or like like, have you put your pronouns in your email signature or like things like that like I'll just come home with more and more stuff and my family are very liberal I mean you know my my granddad was a labor MP and my mum was a labor counselor and always been very we've always had talks about politics and, Mm -hmm. and you know culture and you know which I'm 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 so lucky to have had that growing up Right. Um, but even even with that, I go home with conversations about, you know, pronouns and, you know, the kind of things that oppressed groups of society go through. And even with my family, who I would think of a very progressive, it, mm. it can it, that conversation obviously doesn't happen as much in, in Lancaster and, you know, with with their friends or their colleagues or whatever. It seems mm. like they don't have those conversations as much. Sure. Whereas I'm having them daily, you know, whether it's with friends or colleagues or pe- people on the street or whatever, you know, it feels like I'm always having a conversation about things that are happening culturally, culturally socially, politically, so. In that there London. <laughs> In that there London, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, um, and I forget it, right? Because, you know, I've been in this bubble for, for a while um but you know I talk to people or whatever and they're like oh that's you know that's very whatever I can't remember exactly what they say but you know it's not always endearing shall we say that you know Mm -hmm. do you think being part of the music industry has more of effect on people in this way is the music industry a bit like London you mean yeah I think in a way yeah definitely because it's more like um you know because music's very political you know, and well, a lot of music is very political. And, mm. you know, music is sometimes a vehicle in good and bad ways for, you know, social change, right? Um, many of the people we look up to in music are very much uh, leading change or trying to lead change and influence change, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so music in itself as an as an art form can be a bit of a bubble can't it in that way like so when you're working in music it can be even more normal than 
than what a lot of people or many because when we talk about bubbles like London and, or the music industry, we're talking about very, 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 very small subsets of culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, we're talking about London's a subset of of the United Kingdom and the Western world. Like New York is a subset of mm-hmm. America or what have you. You know, and then you remember that oh, actually, a lot of that. I mean, it's like when I or when one used to like fly um, in and out of London, when you're landing, you're like, oh my God, I forgot England exists, <laughs> right? And it's like mostly green and not, um, <laughs> you know, not, uh, you know, a bunch of buildings with a red river running through it. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes you're in a bubble, right? And then you find, yeah. So would you agree that music, the music industry is also kind of a cultural bubble in that way if, when you're working in it? things are more progressive there than it would be in another industry Mm. i think so i mean it's it's really difficult for us to say because we all work in music yeah right (laughs) i i don't i don't i i I mean apart from in in, i mean even in my social circles the majority of people i socialize with have involvement in the music industry in some way most of them so it's really hard for me to say um the only kind of other perspective i have is i've done a lot of mental health research um participation um as kind of like a, a subject as, as that was being studied but also assisting with research and so that's a completely different um different industry and I think because it was mental health research obviously we were talking <clears throat> a lot about kind of culture and people and, and society but there wasn't as much it there was there was there wasn't as much kind of depth like I feel like with when I talk to people who work in music, there's always this kind of really intense deepness to a conversation about yeah. especially politics. I mean, I mean, politics has always been a thing with music because it feeds mm. into the actual music that's made. Mm. You know, I mean, there's been whole genres of music that have been built around politics. So I mean, it's it's there's it's not a surprise that it's going to be at the forefront of lots of people's mind who minds who work in the music industry. Sure. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, how 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 can we really say? Because we don't. Yeah, right. We don't. We right. don't fully know. Yeah. You need to get someone from a completely different industry on the podcast and ask them. Have, have try and have these conversations. Yeah. Someone from. Like someone. I don't, who... I don't know anybody, Chris. <laughs> Ag- Ag- you know someone in agriculture, surely, Chris. That's because, that's because I live in the middle of nowhere. You know, <laughs> you know a farmer or two, right? Come on. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Chris is uh, uh, Cambridge. Ah, okay, lovely, yeah. lovely. I like Cambridge. Yeah. South, um, Southampton born, then moved to Cambridge. I would like oh, to say, yeah, all right. Like, <laughs> just, just keeping my southern identity there. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, what is it you and Dan were talking about? On because Dan, he's a regular guest. He's mm. from Cambridge. I don't and know. I was listening to one of them, and you two were having it out about a part of Cambridge that isn't a part of Cambridge. It's not even in the same. Oh, county. Newmarket. No. Oh, let, let's not get let's not get into that again. That's, Newmarket. Uh, just oh, the okay. turf wars between Cambridgeshire and Suffolk. Turf wars. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I think the only bit of Cambridge that I know really well is Trumpington. Is that part of Newmarket? No. No. Okay. No. I know Trumpington. My cousins. My cousins live in Trumpington, so I spent a lot of time there as a kid. It's lovely. Yeah. It's a really nice part of Cambridge, actually. It's so flat. I think. I think going coming from the north, you know, my little legs when I was a kid would train to trek up 
hills and hills and hills and I used to go to my cousins and just ride a bike and just roll along yep. oh it's bliss nothing. <laughs> nothing at all you can see miles into the distance and just yeah yeah, yeah. It just it makes me think of the first season of the trip Chris oh I love the trip I it's knew you so would. good like, I didn't even I didn't even have to know that lakes isn't it you know, yeah. So, yeah you know that's that's home turf for me mm. excellent <laughs> um you you were talking about your mental health work would you mind talking a bit about that yes I mean I kind of became I like to call it expert by experience um because, the original expert yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> That's how because, they used to do it. because I um I basically suffered with um well I've suffered with anxiety my pretty much since I can remember I think since I was about 14, 15 was when I was first diagnosed with anxiety. But then I had um, uh, an eating disorder that I was diagnosed with in 2015 um, and had pretty intense therapy to pull me out of that. And I think that since then, because I'm like in a place mentally where I can speak about my experiences and I can try and help others and I can try and raise awareness, mm. I, I really wanted to do that because there's a lot of people who whose mental health, even though they want to do those things, they just can't. So I think it's really important um, for someone with experience to share that. Um, so I, that's led to me doing all sorts of things. I mean, originally it was me just doing some advocacy work for BEAT, which is an eating disorder charity. Right. And then um, they got me work with the McPin Foundation, which is a mental research charity that I still do some work for. And then that went on to me for my master's. I studied music and mental health <clears throat> and I wrote a paper on the precariousness of portfolio careers um, and then started speaking at BBC Introducing and from Me To You Festival and all sorts just about how I felt my music career had affected my mental health and you know etc etc so sure um, and the precariousness of portfolio what was portfolio that work. so it's basically like freelance work or you know it's kind of like the the gig economy and yeah right yeah yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so that was that was two years of my life just relentlessly reading and interviewing people who were like, oh, I hate my life. I've just got so much to do It's so little time and I'm not making any money, but I love my art, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, it was super interesting because that that was me before I had my before I got my job at air. It was very much like, when's my next job? What's my next project? How am I going to fund this? You know, like mm. it was just I think that the freelance life is really not built to support me personally with my mental health. But I think generally it can be very unsettling if you struggle with a, a mental health issue. Yeah, I mean, it's a constant state of unsettledness. Well, unknowing, isn't it? It's yeah, a yeah. constant state of, yeah. It's like, oh my God, what? Like, if nothing happens for three months. Uh -huh. like, uh, uh, what happens to me? <laughs> Which know? an entire industry exactly. plunged into this time last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. And now I'm managing 14 of said freelancers. And so it's, <laughs> yeah, it's right. kind of good to be able to be like, I get it. I get I really get it. Mm. Yeah. You're going to be fine. We're here for you. <laughs> it must be must be quite challenging for you, though, when said engineers, uh, freelancers are coming to you and say, Hey, Katie, is there any jobs going? Any any work in the pipeline or I, but is that thing, a thing? I think it's so much easier for you to sell someone else than sell yourself. So right. 
I mean, I found that it was really hard to, you know, negotiate fair rates and get jobs for myself. Mm. Whereas with them, you know, I throw myself into the deep end, you know, far easier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll go for that higher rate and I'll go for that job that might seem a little bit out of reach because, you know, I I feel like I can take that risk and, Mm. you know, nine times out of 10, it, it pays off. Um, so I think that's the difference for me with managing freelancers versus versus being a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Is is that paper available anywhere? Yes, it is. I shall send you. I don't know the link off by heart, but it is online. The whole paper is online. I shall. Yeah. Send cool. Well, we'll Please link do. that up, won't we? Absolutely, Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to read it. So. <laughs> I want to read it. There's also a really good book um, that I I reference it a lot in the paper. Um, and it was kind of like my key kind of focus for the paper called Be Creative by Angela McRobbie. She's a lecturer at Goldsmiths, which is where I did my master's. Um, so she actually read my paper, which I'm so happy about. Um, but the book is, it's focused mainly on kind of fashion students working as freelancers, but it's totally relatable to any creative industry right. and is right. so interesting. The way, the language that she uses to describe what it's like to be a freelancer is just mm-hmm. spot on. You, it's just, you read page after page, like, yep, relate, yep, relate. Yep. <laughs> this is me, yep, this is me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, Katie. I think we'll um, wrap it up about there. Sure. Where can people find you? You can find all my music uh, under Pillars or on Instagram and whatever, I'm at Pillars Music. Yeah. Um, and air management literally type in air management into google and you've got all the information there um our our instagram is air studios lindhurst yeah and then i'm katie pickles so that's just me if you want to follow me for whatever reason and not my work then there we go or both Both. (laughs) cool well thanks for coming on and uh, i'm sure we'll have you on again actually um about much of the stuff we've talked about today but uh otherwise have a good one i'll speak soon yeah speak to you soon Bye. And that's the cool. end. And end scene. You need like end. a little <laughs> sign tighter. End. <laughs> oh, we'll leave that in as well, Chris. <laughs>